Just like I said, we'd be back. This is For the Glory KC, your preeminent source for all things Kansas City soccer. That music you just heard was Write It Like You Mean It by Christian Leo. I am Chad Smith, editor at thebluetestament.com, and I am joined, as always, by my wife, the Heartbreak Kid, Sheena Smith. (laughs) The Heartbreak Kid. You don't know about the Heartbreak Kid? I'm assuming it's another wrestling thing, but I don't know what that means. Don Michaels, absolutely it is. Sheena, what's up? How are things going? I'm okay. I'm just going to apologize in advance. I have like some hardcore allergies going today. So I don't know. My eyes are really watery. So hopefully I sound okay. I just assumed you were emotional about us doing episode <laughs> six of For the Glory, Casey. Absolutely not. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get into things, want to give our quick plug for give us a five-star rating and review out there on the internet and follow us on all of our social media platforms at For the Glory KC on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can also email us at ForTheGloryKC at gmail.com. Uh, I haven't gotten any emails yet. Makes me a little sad. I know that some of you are listening, though, because I can see the numbers. So that's exciting. I know you guys are going to talk to us more. On today's show, we have an update on Alan Polito and his injury status, why you should head to Arizona to check out some Sporting KC preseason, the Kansas City Current make an addition and a subtraction, there's exciting MLS expansion news potentially on the horizon. But before we do that, Sheena, I think you had something you were wanting to talk about. Yeah, so I wanted to get clarification on from you on last week's episode in the Digital Crawl Last week, you talked about Wrexham coming and playing friendlies in the United States. And I had mentioned that it would be cool to see teams from Europe come and play in the United States. And I asked you if that was something that's ever happened. And then you referenced maybe Manchester United playing the Wiz back in the day, maybe at Arrowhead Arrowhead. Is that what that stadium is? Yeah, Arrowhead Stadium. Okay, I like had a moment. I think it's got Uh, some other name now, like G-E-H-A. I don't know how you pronounce that word. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't really asking. I don't really... It feels like seeing a team like Manchester United play any MLS team, like the um, Manchester would be the dominant team. But what I actually was wondering is, do two teams from Europe come and play in the United States? Like in NFL, we send like the Cardinals and the Chiefs over to London or something, for example, do two teams from Europe ever come and play games here in the United States? Yeah, absolutely. I can't even think of the name of the tournament right now, but every summer, because that's the preseason for many of these European leagues, they'll send teams over. I can remember Barcelona and Real Madrid coming, some of these other big clubs from Germany and England and whatnot. So yeah, sometimes they come over and as part of that tour, they'll play each other, but then sometimes they'll also play friendlies against like major league soccer teams. Or even I've seen like some smaller European clubs play some smaller American clubs, just anything to kind of draw attention to and grow the game a little bit. Gotcha. And then I had one other question for you. You mentioned something about Ryan Reynolds, and I have been racking my brain around what this Ryan Reynolds story could be. Was I was this like BS like before Sheena or like while we were dating? Because I <laughs> cannot. Yeah, that sounded weird after I said it. Um, <laughs> I like it. It's hilarious. <laughs> 
So what is the the Ryan Reynolds thing? Is it just the hair and that's the story or what is it? Yeah, the hair has something to do with it, I think. So okay. uh, this is talking about when we were talking about Wrexham coming over and playing a friendly. Yeah. We couldn't, couldn't think of Rob McElhaney's name last, name, but last week, but McElhaney and Ryan Reynolds, they're the owners of Wrexham. But in college, I don't know if you remember this, we were relatively early on in our dating and I was helping you try to find an apartment. You actually became roommates with one of my friends because you needed a roommate because your other roommate situation, I don't remember if he was getting married or what was going on, but you had to find a new roommate. And we went and we toured this apartment that you eventually took. And the lady was like, oh, Chad, you look like Ryan Reynolds. And I've been holding on to it forever because it's incredibly untrue. But I would assume it was just the hair. Maybe it was the hair. Yeah. I remember you put me in my place immediately and was like, I don't know what this lady is talking about. You don't look like <laughs> Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. So um, that's coming back to you. No, I still don't really remember that. I figured it had something to do with your hair. And I also feel like I should share that in college, we would call you Iceman from Top Gun because you also had similar hair to Val Kilmer, aka Iceman. So that stood out to me more than this Ryan Reynolds comparison. Yeah, I mean, anytime someone thinks that you look like Ryan, and this lady wasn't like unattractive, so it wasn't like some monster saying, oh, you kind of look like Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> like she was like an okay looking person. I was like, hey, look at this lady. She knows, she know you better, you know, appreciate what you have here. This Ryan Reynolds look like boyfriend slash now. Oh husband. boy. <laughs> she was probably <laughs> a- the one who got away. Uh, one of your favorite sayings. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, that that's a college story for us there. So <laughs> let's get to the actual show. So we want to start off this week with an update on designated player Alan Polito. Um, last week, we were recorded right after the Super Draft had happened. We actually sat around for a while waiting to... I was trying to get on the press conference with Brian Bliss, the uh, technical director for sporting Kansas city. And when I was, when I was waiting around for him, it like, you know, there was delays or something. So we just decided to record the podcast. So we recorded like immediately after the draft. And because of that, we didn't hear his quotes until later. And, you know, he gave quotes about first round pick Steven, Afrifa, and then also, you know, the second round pick out of Maryland, uh, Chris, Ooh, Chris, I already forgot your last name, R- Rindov, I think. Um, sorry, Chris, good luck on making the second team. Um, but, he gave this quote. He said, quote, Polito is expected to be back, but we don't know exactly the time frame of that, end quote. So that I think that caused a little bit of a stir. I think people were a little nervous. I tweeted that out and I all the tweet replies were like, of course, he's not healthy. He's broken. He's never going to be healthy. He's never going to play. We're fools for thinking he's going to play. What do you think about that quote, Sheena? Yeah, so I have a couple different theories. I have theories A through D I want to present to you. Four theories? Okay, go ahead, go ahead. (laughs) They're really short. The first one is that the team doesn't believe Polito will be ready for by the beginning of the season, and they need a backup to Agata. So that's where our good friend Steven comes in. Plan B, or as oh, they plan play- B, uh oh. Yeah, <laughs> I meant topic B, I don't know. Uh, but my second point is they plan to slowly ease Polito back into the season, and maybe he isn't consistently starting, so that's why they signed our friend Steven. Option C is they want to be stacked for the long season, and they plan to use Steven in like cup games or when they play several games throughout the season 
Or my last theory is they're preparing for worst case and preparing for a future without Polito. And I'd say preseason would give us a better idea of how Polito's doing. But if he doesn't play, I don't think that's any, any indication of how he's doing because we used to see when we would go to preseason that starters wouldn't necessarily start or they would only play a few minutes. So I don't know that we'll get an idea before the season starts. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. I think those are all like you pretty much laid out all the potential options for what could be going on with Polito. I'm I'm fall more into that uh, option D camp that, or I'm sorry, option B, B as in boy camp uh, that you were laying out there where they're just going to kind of slow play it with Polito. I think he's probably okay. Like if you've been watching any of his social media stuff, people used to send it to me. Now I'm trying to like actually follow people on social media and be a you know, proper fan here and keep up with things. But looking at him, he's doing all this training and these exercises and these things that if he's not getting close to being fully fit, like I don't know when's the man ever going to be fully fit. I contend he could have probably played last year if they needed him, but they didn't need him. They were eliminated from the playoffs. There was no point in taking any risks and re-aggravating anything like that. So I think that's probably what's happening. And then ultimately a free fray is just going to be uh, insurance or Steven, as you're calling him, which is a much smarter because then you can't mispronounce his last name like I'm probably continuously doing. Exactly. Sorry, it sounds like I'm on a first name basis with him, but I, Afrifa, I don't know. I'm so bad with the name pronunciations that he's just Steven. I know I need to wait till the team sends me out the little pronunciation file so I can listen to it over and over the players like they pronounce their own name. The only thing that can be interesting about that is that remember Remy, we were all calling him Walter forever, but then it's Voltaire. And then if you listen to him say it, I'm like, is he just saying Walter, but with a French accent? And that's why it sounds like Voltaire? Like, I, I don't know, but uh, the safe move there to go with the name that you definitely know how to say, Stephen. We can all say Stephen. So and to my really, knowledge, oh, oh, to my knowledge, there's not another Steven on the team. So I think I'm okay calling him just the one and only Steven. Yeah, off the top of my head, that sounds like accurate information. And a quick scan of the roster seems to confirm that news. So, uh, Sheena, you laid out a bunch of options, but you didn't actually tell me what you think. What do you think about Polito? Is he coming back? Uh, he's definitely coming back. I think he probably is going to ease his way into this season. So, I'm going, I think, with option A that they're going to, or maybe it's option B. You don't remember which option? (laughs) (laughs) I don't. I got to go back to my my notes. Okay, yeah. So plan B, as we're calling it, or we shouldn't call it option B. Sorry, people. Um, So yeah, I think they're going to slowly ease him into the season. And maybe he won't play every game. Or maybe he'll come in at the very end and play for like the last 20 until he's back to full speed. Yeah, I I think no matter what happens and however healthy he is or isn't, hopefully he's healthy, but I think the team would be well served knowing that you've got Willie Agata. He scored a buttload of goals in not that much time last year. Why wouldn't you play both of these guys? Why wouldn't you rotate them, try to keep people fresh? Like we've talked about before, there's a ton of games coming up this year between the League's Cup that's going to shut down the whole season for a month in the middle of the year and the U.S. Open Cup. And then, of course, that compresses the entire MLS schedule. So the games are closer together, more on top of each other, on and on and on. Any final thoughts on Mr. Polito before we move on to a different topic? 
I still think that we shouldn't consider him the starter and that he needs to fight with the Gata to see who the actual starter is. When you say fight, do you mean like put on like, some four ounce or 16 no, ounce No, I mean just on the field, whoever's playing to their like peak performance is who gets to start. I yeah, just I, don't, I don't want to assume that he's going to be the starter when I think Agata could easily be the starter as well. And in my book, he's earned it. He played really well and kind of changed the season around once he came on the team last season. So I think Polito has more to prove to get that starting position. Yeah, I think that's completely fair. And if we take Peter Vermees at his word, that's pretty much how it's supposed to be going all the time, right? Like they'll, we'll, we'll constantly hear quotes about you know, that there's open competition, every spot's open. I want the guy who's in the first position to be being pushed by the guy in the second position. And the guy that's the third player in that, you know, depth chart is pushing the second guy and on and on. So I would hope that we can take Vermees at his word on that. Uh, Obviously we don't get to see what goes on behind the scenes in practice. Although side note, let's divert from the topic for a moment. Um, this is your first year as a media member, Sheena. I don't know if you know, you're now a member of the media as I a co-host. Know. This is news to me. Yeah, so as co-host of For the Glory KC, <laughs> I feel like you probably in line to get some media credentials and go to media day. You're shaking your head. No, not I, interested? No, I think I'm good just leaving it here at the podcast and letting you do that. Like, that's not something I'm interested in. Okay, well... Just a thought. I just want to throw it out there for you because I feel like, you know, that that's the kind of cool part of having some of this stuff is you get a little bit of access, but you can keep the casual label. I'll be the person that's way too hardcore about it. And then I'll, I'll explain to you what, what happened and explain it to the audience at the same time. I think it, based on, and maybe this is a good segue talking about preseason, but when we lived in Arizona, we would go to preseason every year. And one of the things that I found cool, but also very intimidating is that the access you have to the players. And so I specifically think of a Matt Beasler, and it took all my courage possible to ask Matt Beasler for a picture. And I was like shaking, I was so nervous, and the picture came out blurry. (laughs) So I just can't even imagine talking to somebody like having the composure to even ask somebody a question. I'd make the worst media person. So I'm probably not going to do that. Well, the only way to get better at it is to do it. And I can tell you, I've been doing it a long time, but only recently is it a year round thing versus like you said, when we were in Arizona, when we would just get that one month of preseason. Um, I'd like to think I've gotten better at it, but it's still a work in progress. This isn't our day job, right? So we we spend no. most of our energy on uh, you know run, doing our normal nine to five jobs and you know running our family and all the stuff that goes on in our lives, and we just get a little practice. This we're gonna get better. You're gonna get better. Yeah. You're gonna do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna get you to go do things. You know, a little aside from preseason here, our daughter because this is a podcast about nepotism. She's always like, dad, when can I be on the podcast? I'm like, what are you going to talk about? And, you know, I think we're building towards someday I'll, I'll let her come on when she comes up with a good topic, but we got to get her to like actually go to games and watch the whole game instead of just being yeah. on a device. Because when we would go to preseason and now when we go to these regular season and playoff games and whatnot, she just is like, I'll, she'll negotiate. I'll watch half the game. And then I need my iPad for the rest of the game. I'm like, child, you want to be on the podcast? You got to watch the whole game. You got to give me some analysis. What's the 10 year old's view on, on sporting Kansas city or the KC current. 
Yeah. Well, let's uh, talk more about preseason going back to it. I just, I have it three different ways. I wanted to break this up. One is talking about the actual experience itself. The next is the best things to do in Phoenix. And then last of all, talking about our favorite places to eat. So I'm putting you on the spot for two of these things because I didn't tell you ahead of time, but I'll start and go with my experience and what I think about preseason. So the one thing I would say is if you have the ability to go to Phoenix or Tucson, depending on where it's playing, you should do it. I mean, for one reason, it's cold here in Missouri right now in Kansas. The weather's perfect. It starts in January preseason and goes through February. And that's the best time to be in Arizona. The weather's consistently in the 60s or 70s. And I know a lot of people travel for the Royals spring training. And I personally find I've been to both um, Royal Spring Training and then preseason with Sporty. And I find preseason with Sporting to be more exciting. It's more exclusive and there's not as many people there. Um, The weather is also slightly better in January and February as opposed to the end of February and March when the Royals come. That being said, Chad, I don't know if you remember getting sunburned several times while you were at Sporting in February. I absolutely do remember. I was actually having that thought when I was thinking about, oh, you're the, the temperature is perfect. Or like some days it'd be quote unquote cold for Phoenix, like 50 degrees. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to get a sunburn today. I don't need to put on my sunblock. The sun is just closer to Phoenix. I don't yeah. understand how the earth works or how the distance <laughs> to the sun somehow changes in Phoenix or something to do with that valley. But yeah, I've absolutely gotten sunburned when there's clouds out and the sun is not even out. And somehow I've come away from preseason with multiple sunburns. I learned my lesson eventually, started putting on sunblock even when I didn't feel like I needed it. You basically, if you are a Phoenix resident, you just learn to have it all the time. Maybe it's just because I'm the palest, pastiest of whites that I burn so easy, but it wasn't like this when I was a kid. I don't know what happened. But but yeah, I remember. I'm convinced that whatever the Phoenix temperature is, you need to add about 10 degrees to it. And then that's the true what it feels like. So if it's 70, it actually feels like 80. Uh, I remember specifically your ears getting burnt several times. So make sure if you do go to put sunscreen on your ears. But anyways, so the weather is better in January and February. But the access that you get to the players after the game, to me, makes the trip worth it. You can usually meet most of the players and get their autographs, take pictures with them. And then another thing that I really like is sometimes the starters or backup players will sit in the stands with the fans. Like they're not going to just like take a seat next to me, but they may be a few rows behind me, a bunch of them. The other thing that I really enjoy is that I've learned so many things because it's not as loud as it is during the games. I've picked up on nicknames of what players call other players. I've heard Peter Vermees say things that I wouldn't have heard him say during a regular season game. And sometimes we've even been able to pick up like who got an injury on the field and stuff like that. So you're learning things behind the scenes you wouldn't catch during a typical game. What are your thoughts, Chad? Yeah, I would echo some of that. Like I sometimes will catch myself referring to these players by the nicknames they call each other because I'll get that little behind the scenes peek, whether it be a preseason or sometimes, you know, we get access to practice and things as members of the media. So I'll, I'll be saying Fonty or Izzy or <laughs> Robbie for Robert Volater. 
So Zuzu is <laughs> the one I remember for Zussi. I don't know if they still call him that, but Zuzu was the, the nickname I remember. I think that's more just like being silly. I think they just call him Zeus whenever they're out there. So, but and I'll find myself typing Zeus versus Zussi or Graham in a story. So, yeah, I think that's always a pretty cool thing. And yeah, like you said, the there's been games where the coaching staff or like maybe the technical staff will sit behind us in the stands. I can remember specifically at one of the Phoenix Rising games, uh, I was there not as a media member, but just as a fan. And I was being ridiculous as I am yelling and, you know, getting all excited about things. And then realizing like five rows behind me is the coaching staff. And I was like, oh, thank goodness. I'm just wearing sporting gear and I'm not like looking like I'm trying to be a member of the media today because I was, you know, acting a little chaotic. I was there with some of my friends as well as you. I'm sure you were there for everything. But yeah, those the the, the access I think is really cool. And that's what stands out to me a lot from preseason is how close you are to people. I have this cool memory of doing the media side of things and being out on the field or the edge of the field with the players. And Graham Zussi came over to sign autographs. I don't know if you remember this, Sheena. And you were there with our daughter and she's much smaller and you're like trying to help her get an autograph with Graham Zussi. And I have a picture of that autograph being given from behind. Like you're taking a picture of it from one side of Avery getting something signed and I'm taking a picture from the other side as I'm out on the field. And I thought that was just this really cool thing that I'm super lucky to have, have access to. But even fans, you're right there. You're so much closer to them than even like a typical experience here in Kansas City. Even though they're incredibly accessible in Kansas City, it's even more so in Phoenix. Was that at Phoenix Rising Stadium? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. The other memory I have is, and this is just because you're a media member, is the very first season we went. I remember we got on the practice field and our daughter was doing yoga moves that the team was doing after their game they were stretching. And I have a cool picture of her doing one of the yoga moves they were doing. And it's of her and they're in the background. So it's really cool. Yeah, I remember that too, because she's like two or three. She's really small and she's like on the sideline and they're they're off stretching and she's like trying to emulate their stretches. And yeah. I think she's like wearing a little purple shirt and everything. That's probably before she even had sporting gear. That was down in Tucson, if you'll remember, before they were doing yeah. preseason up in Phoenix. You know, uh, one more quick uh, preseason story. Because of this access, I one time got, again, this is a nepotism show. I got my little brother to come with me and be my photographer. So I didn't have to focus on taking photos and I could focus on making observations about the game and then doing post scrimmage interviews. Like it was like a friendly or something that they were playing in. And I remember I told my brother, Corey, not to wear sporting gear, like try to look professional. You're a member of the media today. I'm gonna get you in as a media person. And this was like a closed scrimmage. Although closed is always a a relative word because it seems like people just show up and sit in the stands and no one really stops them. So he probably could have done that. But anyways, he wore a sporting hoodie. I was like, come on, dude. And then he was like lingering too close to the field and he was like where he wasn't supposed to be. And he always remembers this because Benny Failhaber yelled at him and told him to get off the field. And to this day, he thinks Benny's like a monster. And I was like, you were where you weren't supposed to be dressed in sporting gear. Like you're supposed to be there as a media member. So, but it just goes to show, you know, they always say that, that line about like, never meet your idols. Well, that's it. I've met Benny several times and he's a, he's been a delight every time I've talked to him, but uh, Corey run that for himself by being where he wasn't supposed to be. You ask him sometime. He'll tell you he still holds ill will about it for, for no oh, good I reason. Know. I oh, know. I know. I've heard, heard it. it. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay. So now that we've talked about the preseason experience, let's talk about your favorite things to do in Phoenix. Do you want to go first or do you want to hear what I have to say? Like, yeah, I'd rather hear you go first because as you know, my favorite things to do are to be in my home when I used to live in (laughs) Phoenix and to go to soccer. (laughs) So it hasn't really changed much. Yeah. And I'm the complete opposite. So if you're going to Phoenix in the winter, my number one tip is just to be outside, soak up the sun because it's not as uh, like, it's not sunny always here in Kansas City and it's cold in the winter. So if you're going to be out there, you got to be outside. So I have, I loved hiking when I lived in Arizona. Hiking is one of my favorite pastimes. Chad always jokes, I don't have a lot of hobbies, but hiking was one of them in Arizona. So I have a few different recommendations and these are more, some of these are more local based hikes, but my favorite place to hike was the Santan Mountains. It's a little bit of a drive from like if you're staying in the heart of Phoenix, but it's worth it. The trails aren't crowded and the views you get of the city are amazing if you do the Goldmine Trail. So Santan Mountains, Goldmine Trail. Usury Park was another one of my favorite hiking destinations. And Chad, I think he's done all of these trails that I'm going to mention. So Chad is not um, into hiking. I would say your skill level is beginning maybe intermediate would you say that's fair feels right i only did it to make you happy basically okay so at usury park there is the wind cave which is it's about two miles it is uphill um it gets narrow in some points but when you're done you're kind of in this cave kind of and you have cool views of the city from a distance. If you want something a little more closer to Phoenix, over by the Phoenix Zoo is Hole in the Wall Trail, and that's like a half hour hike. Um, our, it's like yeah, it's ten a minutes real to quick. get up that thing. Yeah, yeah, and I think the first time our daughter did it, she was three, so it's a really easy hike, and it's you're in downtown almost, so it's really cool views. And then finally, for my advanced hikers, I have one last trail for you. If you like a, a challenge, you have to try Echo Canyon. And a funny story about this is when Chad and I first moved to Phoenix, we were looking for a hike. All of these hikes, the first two at Santan and Usury Park are, I think they're city hikes or city, like they're ran by the city. So you do have to pay to get into those. And when we first moved, we were looking for a free hike. So we decided to do Echo Canyon. And I remember one of us brought like a mug, like a 12 ounce thing of water, and the other one took of us took like a small water bottle and we were hiking. We didn't, I didn't look up the reviews. I just saw it was free. That was my only criteria. It was intense. Like we were rock climbing and about halfway through, we had to turn around because we ran out of water. Make sure if you are hiking to drink lots of water, but I did redo Echo Canyon when one of my friends came and visited and I had like an out of body experience. I would say it's the only time I've had an out of body experience for that last, like, little portion to get to the top of the mountain, but the views are spectacular. So if you are an advanced hiker, you got to try Echo Canyon. The Phoenix Zoo, if you're taking kids, is a good one. And then my last recommendation is Tempe Town Lake. I've gone kayaking there. It's really fun. They have boats. There's a good, you can rent bikes. It's a, a good place and it's in the heart of the city. So Chad, I know you're not into hiking. So what would you recommend besides your old house? 
Yeah, yeah. Go to Gilbert and go check out my old house. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I, I think I would just co-sign on the things that you said. And I would say all those first few hikes you said, I was able to do them. I am not a hiker. I'm not in shape. I wasn't, you know, prepared or like trained for them or anything. And I was able to do them fine. Just, you know, bring water, like Sheena said. But yeah, Echo Canyon, I distinctly remember there was like a guardrail drilled in <laughs> at one point and we had to like pull ourselves up. And I was like, I'm have a water bottle in my hands. How am I supposed to do this? Yeah, where your camelback where your you know backpack of water like come prepared uh the only other thing i can think of off the top of my head is if you want a more a real real lake experience although if you're from missouri or kansas you've you've got real lakes here uh they have roosevelt lake there as well i remember living there for maybe a decade not realizing there was water anywhere in the phoenix metro area uh, Tempe Town Lake is man-made, but Roosevelt Lake is like a legitimate lake where, you know, you can go boating and things like that. We had a friend that had a boat. That's the best way to have a boat is don't pay for one yourself. They're way too expensive. Have a friend that has a boat. I agree. And I'll just add, if you have time to go out of town, it'd be a little bit colder, but Flagstaff is a fantastic city. It's my happy place. So um, it's gorgeous up there. It would be similar to Kansas City weather this time of the year, but it's beautiful up there. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, you can get any climate you really want in in the Arizona, basically within a few hour drive, because you can go up to Sedona, where it's going to be a little cooler than in the valley, bad traffic, not not a wide road to get up there, but cool place to see the, you know, all the red rocks and whatnot. But yeah, you can stay in Phoenix, there's plenty of stuff to do in Phoenix. You said you had one more thing, food? Food. So I'll let you start. What were your favorite places to eat in Phoenix? Well, I'm the worst because I would just tell you chains that I liked that, you know, like Rusty Taco is a chain, but I like Rusty Taco and they they have one in Lawrence now too. So you can just go to Lawrence and get that. So don't pick that or don't pick Qdoba, which I love because you can go to (laughs) Qdoba here. Uh, So trying to think of some Arizona specific places while you were talking. Oregano's Pizza comes to mind. We always would take. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, you didn't have that one? No, I didn't. Oh, well. We would always take people to Oregano's. Really good. Uh, there's multiple locations. It's kind of like an Arizona chain, I would say, because you can do yeah. that in Flagstaff, and you can go to it in downtown Gilbert, where we used to live. And yeah, lots of cool options. But that's what jumped out to me, or just go to downtown Gilbert, Arizona in general. Gilbert's super nice. It's like, you always hear of Scottsdale. People know Scottsdale, but Gilbert's as nice, probably nicer than Scottsdale, frankly. Maybe I'm biased because I lived there for 13 years, but go to downtown Gilbert and just check it out. It's really cute. It's not very big. You can easily walk up and down it. Lots of cool places to eat. Uh, I would say barbecue, but you Kansas City people don't want that barbecue compared to your barbecue. It's good. You know, it's not Kansas City. Oh, barbecue, Joe's Real good. Barbecue. Joe's Real Barbecue. Or- yeah. Yeah, lots of stuff down there. Postinos is down there. There's, uh, I can't think of the name of the burger place that's on the Actually, corner. Postinos closed. Oh, did it close? Oh, yeah. Okay, well, here I am giving bad advice. But no, 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 no. Always good information where we don't know. <laughs> Anyways, go to downtown Gilbert. Lots of cool places to eat. Sheena, oh, what no, else Postinos did you have? is open. Po- Sorry, I was thinking of Pomo. Pomo closed. Oh, yeah, that place was good, yeah. too. Yeah. Anyways, so there's a few places I thought for sure you might have on this list. So I'll just... Well, you didn't let me prepare, so... Okay, that's fair. Well, let me take you down memory lane of some of our places we enjoyed eating together. Um, In downtown Gilbert, um, I have two places. I Actually, three. I have Joyride Tacos, which there's a few locations in this 
in the city. Um, I also had Postino, so I really got confused there. But <laughs> Postino's is a really cute wine bar. And then they have like charcuterie boards and salads and sandwiches. As Chad would say, it won't fill you up, but it's a great atmosphere. There's outdoor games and stuff like that. I just, if you want a good vibe, that's Postino's is good. And then finally, I have in Gilbert, and they have them throughout the valleys, then Burger. I think that was the burger place you yeah. were trying to think of. Um, Ooh, what was our burger place we'd go to in Scottsdale? Hop Dottie. I got you. Hop Dottie. Yeah, Hop Dottie. It's actually, I think, an Austin place, but they have one one or two locations in Phoenix, and they make a really good milkshake and really good fries, and their burgers are good. Um, I have a couple other places. If you like breakfast and you like donuts, Bosa Donuts, that was like a Sunday tradition for the longest time. Like our daughter got burnt out on donuts, which I don't know how one does that, but she did. Um, And then Phoenix, I would say, is surprisingly known for their pizza. So my two favorite pizza places are Chibo, which if you only like pepperoni, don't go because they don't have pepperoni there. Um, Yeah, it's a wood fire pizza, but it's in this cute old house in like downtown Phoenix. It's really cute. It has the best like ambiance. And then Pizzeria Bianco is the other one in downtown Phoenix, Really good. And then Chad, I'm surprised this one may be because barbecue is so big here. But Little Miss Barbecue, if you want to try barbecue from Phoenix, Little Miss Barbecue has a few times converted me from being a vegetarian to eating meat. So it's pretty good. Yeah, as a Kansas City barbecue aficionado, I'm trying to hit up as many places as I can. Little Miss Barbecue holds up. It is freaking delicious. I put an order together at my work one time where I just went around and asked people what they wanted. You have to order like minimum of a half pound to, to be able to contribute. And we had like a $600 order of meat going in my office. I remember calling you and telling you, hey, don't worry, there's going to be a $600 charge on our credit card. I thought card. it People was were, a 900 uh, Maybe it was 900 I can't remember. It might have been yeah. 900 And I was like, don't worry, people are giving me money. <laughs> and then we went and it was a whole process. We got the meat, we like carved it up, and we had a weighing station. Uh, while, while I was teaching my class, my coworkers were like chopping up this meat and we were like taking payment and distributing it around our our office, our little corporate office there. But uh, any other thoughts on preseason before we maybe move on to something else? Yeah. So if anybody is going to preseason or you're going to Phoenix or Arizona at any point for vacation and you need ideas, feel free to email us because I can give you guys a whole itinerary. We basically... I tried to do every single thing possible before we moved, and there was only a few things we didn't do, but uh, I would love to help you come up with an itinerary if you ever go free of charge. I just love planning, and I'm very familiar with Arizona. Yeah, for the glory, Casey at gmail.com, or maybe she and I can convince you to write your first article for the Blue Testament kind of pitching. I was thinking, trip. yeah, I was thinking this might be an article I could write up for people. There we go. I'm going to get you author status over there. All right. Well, let's take a break and we'll be back in just a minute with more For the Glory, Casey. All right. And we are back. So we're going to switch gears. Let's talk about the Kansas City current. Sporting KC got all that first segment. Let's get the current in here. So there's a couple pieces of news from the current 
over the last week since we last recorded. Uh, the big news is the current have made a signing. They've added forward Mimi Larson. Uh, she's Swedish. She's coming over on a two-year contract. I am not even going to pretend I can possibly pronounce the name of her former club, but her club in Sweden, I was going to say Rosengard. Yeah, sure, that feels right. They were the back-to-back champions of the Swedish Women's League. So, hey, a forward off of a champion in Sweden. Sheena, did you have any thoughts? Did you look up any Mimi highlights? Did not look up highlights, but I did learn a little bit about her. Um, She made 33 appearances with the Swedish national team. It sounds like this is a pretty huge signing for the current. I don't know if we have a lot of international players, but this seems like a pretty great person to sign on with the team. I guess if I understand correctly, the team doesn't really need any other forwards. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if doesn't need is the right word, but that's going to provide some forward depth because in last season, they basically played two forwards at a time for the most part, and they really only had three healthy forwards. So, you know, two wasn't really quite enough. It was Kristen Hamilton, Elise Bennett, and CeCe Kaiser that were putting in all the minutes. But Lynn Williams should be back from injury, and now you're adding in Mimi Larson to this equation. And then Claire Lavoge, she's out for the year with an ACL tear, but she kind of was playing forward a little bit and kind of playing midfielder a little bit. But yeah, but they're pretty stacked. Honestly, they're pretty stacked all the way up and down the roster. Maybe defense, still a position of need, but forward midfield look really good. I was going to ask you a question. Do you think they're planning for a long season or are they planning to change their formation to accommodate all the talent they have? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question because we've tried to get information out of Matt Potter, the coach of The Current, over the last year. And he is the best at giving answers, but I feel like he didn't say anything. Like he just has that like, corporate coach speak where I'm like, I don't know if you actually answered my question, but you talked a long time and I, they went, they moved on, they went to somebody else. So uh, something I never could really pin down was what formation were the current playing in last year. I often would call it like a three, five, one, two, but some people were calling it like a three, four, two, one, or I, I don't even remember now. Those numbers probably don't even add up to the appropriate amount of players. But I just know that it was kind of an odd formation. And I wondered, is this the formation that Matt Potter wants to play with? Or this is more my theory, that he was just using the personnel that he had to make up a lineup, right? If you don't have enough forwards or enough attacking midfield type players, you play more defensive and you play with like wing backs and extra center backs and things like that. So I think we could see a change of formations. This is probably just from watching way too much sporting KC, but this looks like a team that could play in a four, three, three all day. Cause you have all these forwards. Now you could get three of them on the field at the same time. Haley Mace, who's a kind of a left back, left wing back. She can kind of play forward too, if you needed her to. She could probably play attacking midfielder if you needed to. She's very talented. So I think they absolutely have the personnel to do that. And honestly, they don't have enough defenders right now. Uh, It's kind of thin, but there's eight draft picks to be made in January. So I imagine they'll address some of those needs come the draft. What about you? Did you have any other thoughts about Larson other than what you saw on her from uh, the Blue Testament? I'm excited to see how she plays and see how she transitions to playing in the NAWSL. I feel like oh, I just, just said that it. You just invented a new league. <laughs> NWSL. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I think yeah. you're combining the North American Soccer League with the exactly. National Women's Soccer League. I know you're a big NASL fan. so um. Definitely. 
I, one thing I did want to point out on Larson, it, it, they, so she won the title the last two seasons. She actually played a little bit less these last two years than she had in prior years with her club. Uh, she actually had played for three different Swedish clubs, but uh, she had 18 start. I'm sorry, 18 appearances, 10 starts last year, and just over a thousand minutes, a thousand and twenty-six. Uh, so her goals were actually the lowest they've ever been in her career last year, although she did have two assists, which was the most of her career. So I'm intrigued to see how she fits in. I don't want to put too much of an expectation on her. I think there's going to be plenty of competition between all those forwards that I mentioned, especially if Lynn Williams is back. She is one of the best players in, in WSL history, frankly. So it was crazy that the current were so good without Lynn last year. Uh, but on KC Current News, when one comes, sometimes one has to go. So there has been a departure from the team as well. Uh, midfielder slash forward Addie McCain has agreed to mutually part ways with the current. When they announced back in November all their roster moves and like what options they were picking up and who had re-signed, McCain was one of those players that this is only her second year in the league. Uh, she Her rights remained with Kansas City, so she didn't really have a lot of rights or options to leave. So I kind of thought maybe they would renounce her rights and let her go to another team. And it turned out it just took an extra month, five, six weeks for that to happen. And now she is heading out. And I think it just comes down to there's not enough room on the roster for her. They're already at something like 22 players on their roster for next year. Uh, you don't get as many players in NWSL and they have all these draft picks still to make. So if they re-signed her, I don't know how she was going to get more minutes. She hadn't gotten a ton of minutes anyway. So to me, it, it kind of made sense. And hopefully Addie will catch on somewhere else. Uh, we used to have a dog named Addie. That's a, we, we have yeah. a trend around here of naming our animals after soccer players unrelated because that dog was 15 years old, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so did you have any thoughts about Addie McCain? Yeah, I mean, I hope she finds another team. And I was going to just share a fun fact I learned about her, which is that we both have the same birthday. So it's not often that I find people with the same birthday as me, but she is one of them. I did see that. It just turns out she was born like, like way years before after me. you. Yeah, way oh. after you, way after you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I saw her birthday too. And I saw 1999. I was like, oh, that just makes me feel really old. This often yes. happens when I'm covering and typing out dates of birth on new signs. Yes. So. Agree. All right. Well, uh, hopefully there'll be more Casey current news in the coming weeks that obviously a lot of super draft prep is going on in the background. So we'll see if there's any more wheeling and dealing. There's no way they can fit eight more players onto this team. So hopefully lots of draft picks. Any closing thoughts on the current before we go to another topic? The I'm good. Head, the head shake is what she knows giving me. <laughs> well, Always, I said I'm good. You did say you're good. You did say you're good. I thought you were just going to shake your head at first. No. And I was like, we're on an audio medium. I know. Um, I'm trying to be better. Okay. So, Another topic that Sheena should be like, it's like both of our expertise right here is major league soccer expansion. I say oh, both yes. of ours because for years I've written about MLS expansion. That's not the part that I think you're an expert on though. I know. Uh, there, there are three <laughs> cities that are in the running for expansion. This is what Don Garber has said in the past, San Diego, Phoenix, which we just spent a ton of time talking about and Las Vegas. As of last year, Las Vegas was the front runner, but now at the end of 2022, Garber was saying San Diego is closer than they've ever been before. And a rumor came out this week that just one source, I can't corroborate this from anywhere else. It's from transfermarket.com. And they're saying that San Diego is going to be the team. It's going to be the San Diego Loyal, which is the USL championship team. 
and that they are going to have an announcement in quarter one of 2023. What do you think about that, Sheena, as a San Diego native? Yeah, so I think San Diego would be a great location for an MLS soccer team. Um, One, because it's my hometown. I'd still be a Sporting Kansas City fan, just for the record. But I think an MLS team would do great there. And just to compare, uh, I think last season was the first season for the San Diego Wave, the NWSL Nailed team. Nailed it. Yeah, <laughs> featuring Alex Morgan as the star of that team. And they smashed records last season. I follow Alex Morgan on Instagram. And I think they their highest attendance, which I think broke the NWSL record, was like 29,000 people in attendance for one of their games last season. So I would be curious to know where the team would play. I have a lot of questions, honestly, about the MLS team, where they would play you answered the name uh, or the question for me about what their name would be. But I have a question for you that I thought about when you were talking about their yeah. name. Remember at one point, somebody put out um, a survey of what the USL team should be before they came up with a loyal. And there was like one name on there that was like perfect, but I can't remember what it was. Do you remember? I assume it was Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the one you were thinking of? I don't know, but that's just a great name. <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember that being in the the voting or the polls. Yeah, San Diego has been in talk of MLS expansion. I looked back and I'd written an article on it back in 2016, which just that's crazy. Been at this for a while. Yeah, they, yeah. they've ebbed and they flowed, and there was votes, and then they it didn't pass certain votes, and it's kind of falling apart. But as terms of where they would play, nothing has been announced. Obviously, this is just a rumor from one source. We're probably giving it way too much attention. But yeah, Don Garber did give it some weight when he talked about them, and. Um, they would probably, if I had to guess, play in Snapdragon Stadium. It's the football team, or I'm sorry, the, the Aztecs stadium. play. Yeah, for the San Diego Aztecs. And um, that's on the former Qualcomm Stadium yes. site. Yeah, the, where they, you know, the Chargers used to play when they were in San Diego. I still call them the San Diego Chargers. They'll never be the LA Chargers in my brain. Um, but uh, they tore that down and built this new stadium. And that was the talk way back then was that they were going to get together and they were going to build a stadium with the university or San Diego state university and put this thing together and, and cohabitate this thing. So I don't know if that's the plan or if they're, they're going to have to build yet another stadium in San Diego. I don't yeah. know what that looks like, but if, if they're going to they, play in 2024, they're going to play in that stadium because there's just no way to get it done before. Then. And that stadium's cool. I saw it last summer. I don't think it had opened when I saw it. It was like, I think while I was there, they were having, right after I left was when they were having their first game there, but it's a cool looking stadium just from the outside of it. So I'm excited sometime to go there and either see the wave or potentially the loyal. Um, if they end up becoming an MLS team, my only concern is San Diego is a fair weathered fan base. Mm -hmm. So when teams are doing good, like the Padres or when the chargers were there, everybody was, you know, pro Padres, pro Chargers, but when they're not doing so well, like the sales are down, um, it's easy to get cheap tickets. So I'm wondering how that would all play out. Hopefully the San Diego Loyals would have a good fan base. Um, And then it makes me wonder, would people from Mexico come up like from Tijuana to see the games because soccer is so big in Mexico? So overall, I think this would be a great location. I still think Phoenix would be a good location as well. But San Diego just weather-wise is better. So I 
I feel like that alone would be a better reason to have a team there. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you mentioned the like Mexican fan base coming over the border because that's what one of the arguments, and I apologize, I don't remember who said this in the comments on the Blue Testament, we're talking about San Diego's already a city that's well-served. They already have yeah. a bunch of teams just over the border in terms of like Tijuana and whatnot. And would this be an oversaturation to put an MLS team there, especially, like you said, they're fair weather. But from a we-have-a-free-place-to-stay standpoint and beautiful <laughs> weather standpoint, I'm yes. all for this. Put a team in San Diego. Uh, I mean, shoot, put a team in Phoenix. We got places to stay yeah. there, too. <laughs> so uh, I think long-term, it's likely that potentially maybe all these cities get get teams because they're not going to stop at 30. There's too much money, which is actually the perfect transition because with San Diego being moved to the top of the list, potentially, again, this is a rumor, uh, that would mean Vegas is getting bumped down. Vegas is probably not becoming the 30th team. And Bill Foley, he's the owner of the Las Vegas Golden Knights of the NHL. He actually just bought a team in the Premier League in England, Bournemouth. And he gave an interview to the BBC where he was talking about, basically it's about a billion, billion with a B, That's dollars crazy. to get an MLS team because he estimated a stadium would for like an MLS quality stadium, six to 700 million plus another 300 plus million in expansion fees because Charlotte played 325. They paid more than anybody had ever paid before them. So he was saying that he bought Bournemouth because it was a bargain compared to that. And he said, quote, I don't see us being involved in the MLS. I'm just not that interested. So I think as if you've ever read any of my MLS update articles or the MLS expansion update articles over on the Blue Testament, you know there's a few elements you have to have to get an expansion team. And first and foremost is you got to have a billionaire. And if they just lost one potential billionaire, not that there's not more billionaires in Vegas, I think that puts a dent in the chance of Vegas being on the timeline. Vegas, they were supposed to announce something last year, and it never got announced, and probably because stuff like this is happening. So hopefully we'll hear something soon, but if we don't, I guess we'll just stick at 29 odd-numbered teams for quite a while. Yeah, personally, I think it's crazy that a new MLS team is paying between stadium and expansion fees like a billion dollars because it's not like that's getting you a American football size stadium. That's like probably a stadium of anywhere from 20 to 30,000 people that it can hold. So the cost just is crazy to me. I also think that a desert soccer team would be rough because going back to when we lived in Phoenix, we had uh, season tickets to Phoenix Rising, who we loved, but the summer games were brutal, especially if the sun, like in the peak of the summer when the sun wasn't going down till eight o'clock and those games were starting at seven or seven thirty. The first half was brutal to be watching. You were just sweating. And then once the sun went down, it was still hot, but at least the sun wasn't beating down on you. But you answered my question earlier, which was is Phoenix rising rising out of the mix for an MLS team? It sounds like they're still in the mix. Yeah, it seems like they're still in the running. They, I mean, they, last time Don Garber mentioned them, I believe, was the state of the league in 2021. So it's been a while, but he was basically all in on Vegas. Then San Diego leaped to the forefront. Uh, there is, uh, I forget the governor's name for Phoenix Rising, but he was talking about how he's not legally allowed to talk about the MLS Phoenix Rising situation, which seemed odd. So uh, yeah. I definitely don't think they'll be Team 30. If it's not San Diego, it'll 
probably be Vegas or it'll be like Charlotte where someone just emerges out of nowhere that has a bunch of money and wants to be in the elite club of owning a professional sports team. Yeah. The one thing I just thought of is when it felt like maybe a few years ago, it was more, there was more excitement behind Phoenix Rising and they had renderings of their stadium and those renderings were really cool. So I hope at some point they do get a stadium because I have like a soft spot for Phoenix Rising just because we were fans for a couple years um, or we had season tickets rather for a couple years. And they have, I would say, a pretty loyal fan base. So I think they would be good um, to have an MLS team down the road. Absolutely. I, it's the fifth biggest city in the country. It's crazy yeah. how underserved it is in terms of uh, you know having a soccer team. Yeah. I had a question for you, Chad. I found it interesting that it's cheaper to get a Premier League team than it is to get an MLS team. So do you think the MLS is worth the amount Bill Foley is saying it would cost? Like, Do you think it's worth a billion dollars? I think absolutely right now, no, but you're buying long-term investment, like you're making a long-term investment because these values just keep going up. If you look just like a decade ago, what it cost, it was like $10 million for RSL to get a team. And now you're paying $300 million. RSL's probably closer to 15 years ago than 10, but still the point stands. It, it's The valuations are through the roof. Most teams are not making money. Uh, you're basically buying and hoping that the, your equity keeps going up. But one thing I'll note about the whole it's cheaper to buy a Premier League team, it's cheaper to buy a team like Bournemouth, who's not as high up in the table. If you were talking about one of the high-end Premier League teams, your Manchester City, United, Arsenals, etc., those are multi-billion dollar purchases, and they would be worth more than, gosh, maybe they would rival NBA and NFL teams in value, maybe be more because you know it's a world's game versus just an American-based sport. All right. Well, let's move on from this topic. So um, <laughs> one more thing, and then we're going to hit our digital crawl. Just one little bit of news because the draft did happen last week and we went on live right after it. A little bit more about Stephen Afrifa that I thought was worth noting. And you can pick this up in the story that I wrote, but he is not on what's called a Generation Adidas deal. We talked about that last week, but Brian Bliss wanted to make a point that it doesn't really matter if these guys are on GA deals or not, because he was saying, Either way, they're not on the senior roster. So either way, they don't count on the budget. Essentially, I don't know. I read the rules numerous times and it doesn't really say. It kind of sounds like MLS pays the GA contracts versus the team pays a non-GA contract. So when you're talking about a minimum salary or a near minimum salary, talking about less than $100,000 per year for a player, which to you and I is a lot of money, but to billionaires that own Sporting Kansas City, probably not much of a big deal. So I wanted to sneak that in before we go to... The digital crawl. Insert music here that I don't have yet. Okay, we're going to get some <laughs> digital crawl music sometime. All right, so this is where we go through topics on a more rapid basis. Unless Sheena stops me, I'm just going to blow right through these things. So the first thing is Victoria Pickett, who's a former member of the Kansas City Current. She was traded last year, and kind of a lot of money came back in that deal, uh, to New Jersey, New York, Gotham. And she just signed a new three-year contract with the club. So she'll be staying with Gotham for another three years, which makes sense because they gave up so much to get her when they were already, you know, well on their way of missing the playoffs. Uh, next one, these two kind of go hand in hand together. And we got a Messi and Ronaldo thing. So Lionel Messi, you may know him as the greatest soccer player alive in the world right now, just won the world cup for Argentina. Uh, the rumor is he is going to re-sign with Paris St. Germain, nothing official yet. 
was checking on this again today. There's crazy how many articles there are about Messi on a daily basis. Just like everything the guy, you know, every it's like the paparazzi catches a photo of him and that gets an article. Uh, but if you were booking your road trip to head down to Miami to watch Sporting play Inter-Miami for the first time, as we discussed in the schedule release last week, hold off on buying those tickets right now because I don't know if Messi's going to be there. Sheena, what do you think about the Messi situation? I wouldn't be surprised if he re-signed with his team, um, just given his World Cup win. And honestly, could Miami even legit afford him? And my question to you, Chad, is do you think that the rumor was ever serious that he could come to Miami or do you think it was like a leverage to help him get a better deal with his current team? I mean, it's always a possibility that they're just using MLS and, you know, that this has been something that we've seen before where they'll use MLS clubs to, to squeeze more money out of their current club or another club. Um, but I'm not willing to rule out that it's going to happen. The whole David Beckham connection, you never know. But to think of Beckham coming to MLS so many years ago, they invented the whole designated player rule for him to come. And fun fact, they actually gave him rights to an MLS expansion team at a huge discount as a part of coming to MLS. And that's how he ultimately became the owner of Inter Miami. Uh, maybe they would do something like that for Messi. Maybe he's got a city he likes in America that he'd like to stick a team one day. And whatever they got to do to get the guy here, like who wouldn't love to see Messi play? But I think he'd be he'd be frustrated with the salary budget situation in MLS because he's not going to be surrounded with superstars like he is at PSG or he was at Barcelona. And he's he's getting older. Can he really carry a team... I mean, he probably can, but he at can least for a dribble. season or two, right? But like the the pace of MLS, it's a very physical league. It's a fast league, and I don't know how that would play out for him. So I'm I'm not closing the door on this yet, but uh, don't don't book those flights to Miami quite yet. And uh, Sheena, you found this other piece of news. Look at you looking up news, you casual fan over here. Uh, <laughs> you said that Cristiano Ronaldo signed a seven year deal uh, with a Saudi Arabian club worth 170 million pounds per year. The club is Al Nassar. Apologies if I'm saying that wrong. That's the, the trend around here. We don't know how to pronounce other clubs <laughs> or players around the world. Uh, so he's going to play for Al Nassar for two and a half years and then be become an ambassador for Saudi Arabia uh, in their bid to get the 2030 World Cup. Yeah, so I did find this and I find the whole story interesting that he would go over to Saudi Arabia and especially that I get the plane for two years, but then trying to help them get the 2030 World Cup is intriguing to me. I don't know if they really need his status to get the World Cup, it seems like really all Saudi Arabia needs to do is throw a lot of money to FIFA and they would get a, a World Cup like win or whatever. My question for you, Chad, after you give your thoughts on the situation, is if you could pick a location for the 2030 World Cup, where would you choose? My gut immediately goes to England. They were the country that got kind of the shaft in the whole Qatar situation. I believe they were supposed to be up for it or maybe it was the russia one either way and maybe it was the u.s that got the shaft on qatar but uh england it's the home of football like i think it should absolutely be there as far as saudi arabia getting the world cup i hope that it won't happen even with all this money i hope they're just throwing their money away because qatar got it through bribes and a bunch of back channel stuff and 
Thief is probably still ripe for bribes and nonsense, but hopefully there's more attention brought to it now after back-to-back Russia-Qatar World Cups. Kind of crazy that those are the countries where we have this kind of sports washing going on, where they use sports to hide some of the bad stuff that they have going on in their country. Do you think Ronaldo would have an influence to help Saudi Arabia? Yeah, I think so. Um, I'm sure you're, you've probably heard the name Pele before. Pretty famous soccer player. <laughs> shrug. <laughs> I guess. Like it kind of sounds, I would have thought it was a drug, honestly. Okay, we'll have to go show you some Pele highlights. He, if okay. you have an argument about who is the greatest player of all time, it's probably between Messi, Pele, and maybe... Uh, those are the two that jump to my mind the most. But uh, the big thing with uh, Pele, so Pele is from like... The, you know, the 60s and the 70s. He was still playing in the 70s. He played in America at the New York Cosmos at the end of his career. But uh, he was contracted by Qatar and helped them in their bid. That's where I was going with that. And so you never know. I think that that carries weight. You send these kind of high profile players into situations and maybe, although Ronaldo doesn't come across to me as a very good emissary, you know, he's not always the best behaved guy in the world. He just pouted his way out of Manchester United. So enough about Cristiano Ronaldo, Daniel Shallowy's favorite player, by the way. Uh, Let's talk about Liga Emekis. So the Mexican League, Uh, they have been drawn into their groups with the MLS teams for the League's Cup. Nothing officially has been announced, but uh, with the way the drawing is going to work, the first place teams in each league get a bye, and the Liga MX's regular season ended here for the winter, and they'll play a, a second like regular season Apertura next year. But... Uh, or or Clausura. Yeah, I can never remember which one's which. Clausura, I think, means closing. You know, I don't know Spanish. So <laughs> either way, the season, the first season ended and the standings, it'll be reverse standings. So like the highest seeded MLS team that doesn't get a bye. So the Philadelphia Union play the lowest seeded Liga and Mackey's team. So I, I say that to tell you that we don't know who Sporting are playing because they weren't seated high enough in MLS to be drawn, but they'll get drawn regionally to play someone. So there's four regions, the East, West, South, and Central. So with our luck, uh, Dallas and Minnesota are already drawn into two of these groups, and Sporting will probably play them because that just seems to be how it goes. But you never know. Maybe Chicago will go play Minnesota, and Dallas will get Houston or somebody like that. But I I imagine we'll probably play the same teams. Sporting's always playing the same teams. Last bit of news, Jimmy Madronda, former sporting Kansas City player. He's kind of bounced around the league over the last few years, a little time in Nashville, a little time in Seattle. And now he just signed a one-year deal with a one-year option for 2024 with the Columbus Crew. So that is the Digital Crawl. Sheena, any thoughts on Jimmy or anything else to close out the show today? No, I mean, hopefully he likes Columbus. Ohio seems like a fun place, so... Good luck in Columbus, Jimmy. All right. Sounds good. So who thought we could talk for over an hour whenever (laughs) there were almost no bits of news that happened? We get Sheena started on Phoenix or traveling or San Diego, her favorite (laughs) topics, and her and I can just go back and forth all night. You're lucky this wasn't a four-hour podcast, y'all. Seriously. That that is uh, everything for us at For the Glory KC. We'll see you all next week. Take care. Bye.